Hi, and welcome to the Women Offshore podcast. Today with us, we have Becky from Safer Waves. Becky, thank you so much for being here with me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes. So for anyone who's just tuning in to the podcast, you go back and listen to episodes 44, 45, and 46. They were really, really impactful. Almost two years ago, Becky was there. She explained what Safer Ways was and the goals of her organization. And so if you need to get a little background into the conversation today, please go back and listen to those and then come on back and we'll be here waiting for you. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Women Offshore Podcast. This is Ali Cedeno and Christine McMillan. We are both experienced seafarers. And at Women Offshore, we are making waves. The Women Offshore Foundation propels women plus into meaningful careers through access to a worldwide community and professional development resources while raising awareness amongst industry leaders and decision makers about issues affecting women on the water. This podcast is an integral part of our mission, and we appreciate you listening in. New episodes of the Women Offshore podcast are available every Tuesday. Subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on and be in the know about the latest topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion within the maritime and offshore industries. Thanks for tuning in. We have another great episode for you today. So Becky, let's talk about what you've been up to and what's been going on with your organization since we last spoke. Yeah, so I think when we last spoke, we were just in the process of getting registered as a charity or we may may have been newly registered. Um, so since then, we've really been focusing on getting our anonymous email service up and running, um, which has been running now since summer 2021. So that involved setting up all the software for that and recruiting and training our volunteers. Um, so the volunteers did some some great training with a local rape crisis center and um suicide prevention training as well as well as kind of introductory training to uh what it's like to actually live and work at sea because we had volunteers from a range of backgrounds some were from seafaring backgrounds and some were more from a background of of counseling courses or uh dealing with domestic abuse on land so we did some in-house training to just explain why some of the challenges are particular to the maritime environment and how it makes uh, sexual violence and abuse more difficult to deal with once it's uh, occurred. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we've been doing that. So we, we got that set up and it's sort of been getting the word out about that service and uh, it's, been used more and more frequently now which is good as people sort of begin to realize that the service is there and that it's it's available for them that's amazing so how many volunteers do you have so we've got we've got three email support volunteers at the moment uh, but we we aim to keep around about six so we're just having a new recruitment drive now and the next lot of training is happening in January so we'll we'll be adding some more volunteers to the team which I think will make a really nice mixture of new volunteers and our more experienced volunteers now with all the knowledge that they've 
gained over the last year and a half. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that your website says it that you can just start the conversation with hi, and then we'll take it from there. And so it's, um, I, I think that's such an amazing resource because it's usually available for everyone on the ship to have access to emails. And, but if they don't know where to start the conversation, your, your, your volunteers know how to do that. Yeah, exactly. That was the idea uh, of having email as the, as the primary means of support because we felt that it could be accessed by nearly everybody at sea, uh, whether it means you have to wait until you get into port or some vessels obviously have Wi-Fi capability for emails, but not really much else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so... I mean, it's 100% true. Our volunteers are more than happy to receive an email that literally just says, hello, this is my name. And then we'll reply to it from there and ask a few more questions and just just see what it is that somebody wants to discuss with us. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And at, at the same time, other, other times we get long emails straight away and the volunteers are very good at sort of taking it step by step with each email and and figuring out what response that person might need. That's amazing. The work you're doing is great. And I know that on our own website at womenoffshore.org, we have a link to yours for all the available resources. So, you know, we're, we support you. We think that you're doing an amazing job at what you're doing and, and you're doing it in a way that's very meaningful to the Mariner, which is so important. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think it's so important for survivors of sexual violence to have choices in the services they choose to access. And I think that's where it's really nice to work together with other organizations because women offshore are able to support people in a, in a different way, which may suit, suit some people more than the way that we do it. Um, and it's just giving people those options, which is really nice. Yeah, it is. So I think it was your summer... 2022 um, newsletter that was sent out, you had some amazing infographics and it was about myths and facts of sexual assault and sexual harassment. And so I wanted to talk to you through a couple of those because one says, if a person doesn't fight back, it is an assault. And so can you tell us your the facts about that statement and why that that's a complete myth? Yeah. So I think it's well known that about the fight or flight response. So if the brain perceives a threat, it will act out by either fighting back or running away. And I think that's where, that's how victims of sexual violence might think they should have acted. They should have fought back or they should have run away. However, if those options aren't available and realistically, if somebody is being attacked it's likely that the perpetrator is stronger than them yeah and if they're being attacked at sea there's nowhere to run to so trying to fight the brain realizes that that is going to cause risk of more danger to that person Um, Mm. so it's quite common for people to freeze or um, just go floppy because the brain is sort of taking over and saying this is the way we should act so that we don't get hurt. Um, but what that means is later for the survivor, if they don't understand that response and if the people around them don't understand that response, then there's this dialogue of 
why didn't you fight? Why didn't you scream? Why didn't you run? Um, and the likelihood is that it was just, it's an instinctive reaction. And it seemed to the brain the best way to keep that person safe at the time. It was a protective measure, right? Absolutely. Wow. And so that's like a really common thing that we hear come up and it's very uh, hurtful to the victim and very almost re-traumatizing <laughs> to say things like that, right? Yeah. And I think it's just getting that message across that actually that part of the brain has has overridden any logical thought, any any thoughts that you might have in the future of I should have done this or I should have done that. It's it's just in survival mode. Yeah. So let's talk about another common myth that rape is committed by strangers. Yeah. So uh, some of the statistics from rape crisis England and Wales, they say that one in three adult survivors experience sexual violence in their own home. Um, and the statistics from another um, abuse support network say that eight out of 10 rapes are committed by someone that is known to the victim. So the the myth that it happens away from the home in, you know, outside in dark places by strangers, that accounts for a, a small percentage of cases compared to the, the offences that are perpetrated by people that are known um, to the victim. Yeah, that's a really good statistic to know because we always think of like the boogeyman in the white van or somebody scary that's distant from us, but it's that's not the case. No, and I think it it adds to the complexity of the emotions that that victims will feel after an attack is because if it's happened because it's somebody that you know, whether that be <laughs> um a family member or a friend or a work colleague, there's that sense of betrayal as well and of feeling that you trusted that person. And and so that that's another thing that a survivor then has to deal with. Well, who can I trust? If I couldn't trust that person, who do I trust now? Oh, I wow. trust that colleague and he was so nice to me. Can I trust this colleague? Right. Wow. Yeah, that's – I forgot about the – the trust factor that goes into losing trust in, in humanity for a little while. Yeah. And we've talked as well amongst ourselves, you know, myself and the volunteers about um, being part of a crew and how important it is. The crew will look out for each other. We hear this all the time. Don't we? The ship's crew look out for each other. We won't let anything happen to each other. We look out for each other's safety. And if that is then, violated somebody harasses you or somebody um commits a, a sexual offense against you that trust is broken down as well um and I, I think that is quite a significant feeling for for seafarers yeah and that kind of leads us into bystander intervention and why that's so important and why i think that this year it's become a topic of conversation um, at least within the circles that I am talking to, we talk about how important it is to to be that crew member that's going to look out and make good decisions on and and you know raise raise a flag when something isn't right. Yeah, I mean, I always try and compare it with things like a theft. You know, if a crew a crew member was known to have stolen from another crew member, 
you know how hard the rest of the crew would come down on that person. Mm. Um, or if somebody was consistently lazy, didn't pull their weight within the crew or any other of those things that makes it difficult to to run a crew, the, cr- the crew would act on that, wouldn't they? And And why isn't it the same for sexual assault? And I think a lot of it comes down to, yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to confidence and not knowing how to act or when to act. Um, and I think that all comes with knowledge. The, the more we can educate people about just just raising awareness, really, of, of the issues, because a lot of the time when we, we speak and we um, have conversations with people, we get that reaction of, oh, I never even thought of that. I didn't think of it that way. Um, so having the conversation is so important. Yeah, I agree. Let's keep this conversation going about everyone processes trauma differently at different rates. And so you had a great infographic that said that my assault happened a long time ago. Does it matter now? Yeah. Um, there's so much to say on this, this topic. Uh, but so one of the aspects we find is that uh, people seem more able to process trauma some years on um, if there's been a change in their life you know for example mm. they might have had children and that leads them to think about when they were a young person and um, being in that caring role and knowing that they need to protect their children they think about whether they were protected as a child um, similarly if you were to move into a different career that offered a more safe environment you felt more safe that you might think about how unsafe you'd felt in the past mm. um, so that can be that can definitely be one factor in it and I you know with myself and with my volunteers you can see that having moved having got older and moved to a more senior position in the industry uh, people's thoughts turn to how do we protect the young people in our industry right um, and then naturally I think that just leads people to reflect on their own um, experiences um and another main reason I think is you know that in any other sort of stressful situation, say you were in a, a fire or a car crash or an abusive relationship, um, a lot of your thoughts at that time are about survival and you, you don't have the time to think. And if you were to think, it could put your survival at risk. Mm, yeah. And I sort of think of somebody, if they've experienced sexual violence, they've then got another four months perhaps to do on board, something like that. How do you survive those four months? Well, thinking about the attack is probably not going to help you to just get through to the end of those four months and go home because for whatever reason, it's it's risky to think about it. Um, and I think that's when people start to sort of bury it push it away because they've had to in order to survive the rest of that trip yeah absolutely and so reaching out for help is going to look different for everyone it's really going to be a custom approach that everyone's going to find help and I think that safer waves offers that through your volunteers you're able to really you know no one size fits all yeah definitely um and we, we've seen from the people that have been in touch with us over the last year and a half that people do want 
different things. Um, you know, for some people that the healing process, they don't feel like it could even start until they've brought their perpetrator to justice. Mm. So we we work with a police force in the UK and we're working on ways to improve improve that for seafarers to make it easier for them to access the criminal justice system. So whether that be a collection of evidence or the actual reporting pathway, you know, which number do you call, which, um, how can you email the police, how can you get in touch with them? And I know that women offshore have good contacts with the US Coast Guard. Um, yes. Who are working on this issue as well. Um, and that's such a great resource. So that's, you know, that's one one area of it. I think just circling back to our previous conversation, um, I think that sometimes when people receive the message from the people around them that what happened to them wasn't important, that maybe it was um, even funny, you know, that sometimes oh. that's what people get. Nobody else takes it seriously. Right. So the victim starts to think, well, perhaps it wasn't serious. Perhaps it wasn't important. And it might be that they go on believing that, or it might be that they turn around in several years' time and think, actually, that wasn't okay. And then then they have the choice of what they what they do with that information that they've learned. And and do you go on to seek help? Do you talk to a friend? Do you say, okay, it wasn't okay, but I've come a long way since then? It's different for everybody. Um, so, yeah, we we just we firmly believe in offering people options. Um, we see visiting our website and perhaps you know a step like listening to this podcast if it's the first time you've really confronted the issue um, as a first step, and people can then go on and take those further steps in in that healing process. So whether they email our service, whether they take a more sort of peer support approach, mm-hmm. or they they go on to seek professional help, so counselling, one-to-one counselling or group therapy, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, everyone's different. Yeah. But there are so many resources available. And like you said, you're just one of them and you're helping people get pointed in the right direction for what's going to be the best for them to help them feel power, re-empowered and have agency over their life again. Yeah, it's so important. I think when when people experience sexual violence, it takes away control, takes control away from them and it takes away their power and in that moment, I mean, and mm-hmm. recovery, I think, is all about getting that back, giving people choice, options, control over their own decisions and helping them to just regain that sense of, of power. So do you have any resources that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Um, well, our, so our anonymous email service is at support at saferwaves.org. And that is completely confidential. So what happens is when people email us, they their email address is allocated a, um, a unique number, which means that we can keep the thread of the conversation. Okay. 
Um, and then that will be answered by our volunteers and there's no sort of limit to how long people can email us for. People can go backwards and forth or email us once and then come back to us again in six months or however they want to do it. Um, there's obviously our website where you can find plenty of information. Um, we're a member of a, a larger group in the UK called the Survivors Trust and they have some, um, you know, they have lists of all the local organizations in the UK. And I do really want people to be aware of the the US Coast Guard tip line. Um, yeah. Because I, I remember them saying at the Women Offshore Conference, that's that's one way of reporting. You can report anonymously via the tip line, but you can also report with details, with your name, with the ship's name. And they were saying, unless they have details, they can't take action and they mm. would like to take action. Yes. Um, so, you know, the more we report these incidents, uh, the more likely it is that people are going to take them seriously and actually take action. I agree. And I think that having conversations like this one, uh, kind of normalizing this conversation among our peer groups is really important because then everyone's going to be more comfortable talking about this. And I think that's when changes are really going to be able to happen. Yeah, I think so. It's it's so surprising whenever I have a conversation with people because I just explain what I'm doing with the charity and then the more questions follow on. So sort of what the work that the charity does and this, that and the other. And uh, particularly with my colleagues at my current job, they'll then go home, talk to their friends, to their girlfriends and wives, and they'll come back to me and say, oh, my wife said this happened on the cruise ship or my girlfriend said she knew of a girl that this happened to at sea and they, they've they all known about it but they've not been talking about it with each other. And now wow, so yeah. It's, it's quite powerful to hear that. Yeah, that's wonderful. No, you, you've covered so much today and I think these conversations are, you know, we, we hold them with a lot of intention and sincerity and we want our listeners to know that you are out there and you're doing this hard work and you're an available resource for them. And we thank you so much for the hard work that you've done and your volunteers as well. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, my, my volunteers are fantastic. My volunteers and my trustees. And I think if we could just finish on one thing, it was what you said before about just say hi. Literally, you don't have to write anything. If, if you just write your name and I need some help, our volunteers are more than happy to to take the conversation from there. So um, never feel like, oh, I haven't formulated an idea. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how to write it down. And the other thing is our, our volunteers would never get people to speak about things they don't want to speak about. They just ask them to share what they're happy to share. Um, so if you're considering it, then yes, we're here. And there's no expectation on you to continue talking to us or yeah, just, just reach out and say hi. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And just knowing that there are resources available can be a huge relief for a lot of people. I think knowing that somebody's out there that cares means a lot. Yeah. I, I think it takes people a long time to think that actually that resource could be for me, but just knowing that it's there is a start for a lot of people. 
Yeah. Well, Becky, thank you so much for your time. I always love catching up with you. Thank you. And I can't wait for our next conversation. Oh, me too. No, I can't wait to update you. I'm sure that there'll be lots of things to say in the next year or so. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. Come back next Tuesday for another new episode. If you want to propel women offshore forward, visit womenoffshore.shop. Make a donation or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there and we will talk to you soon.